Hello, everyone. The NASW Risk Retention Group, NASW Assurance Services and Western Litigation have teamed up to produce a series of three podcasts to guide behavioral health professionals on the subject of teletherapy during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is podcast number two. The name of our series is What You Need to Know About Teletherapy During the COVID-19 Pandemic. I am Bonnie Rausch from NASW Assurance Services, and I have joining me today three subject matter experts. They are from the risk retention, NASW Risk Retention Group. We have with us both Phil Lawson, the Vice President of Product Development and Risk, as well as Lonnie Roth, the Director of Product Management and Underwriting. In addition, from Western Litigation, we have Dina Larson, who is the Senior Risk Analyst and Administrative Supervisor. The format that we are using are Q&A, and we are also answering questions that we have received from our policyholders regarding teletherapy and the current pandemic. But before starting, we want to tell everyone that our thoughts are with all affected by COVID-19. Please know that we are extremely thankful for all of the amazing work of the healthcare and behavioral care professionals, as well as all other essential workers. Also, if you missed our podcast number one, it is available at www.naswassuranceservices.org. On that, you will find a specific web page for COVID-19. So without further ado, let's get started. The first question is for Phil. Phil, if somebody uses a cell phone for business and personal use, but treats every contact as business and confidential, what are the risks for a solo practitioner and nobody else has access, access to any of their devices? Yes, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, there's a blur between personal life and uh, professional life and using a cell phone uh, increases that blur. Although technology improves productivity um, and it opens up new positive opportunities for everybody, Technology makes it too easy to make mistakes, and that's where your risk is. Uh, for example, unintentional calls or texts can result in breaches, and they'll expose you to multiple HIPAA breaches. Another example is if your phone is stolen or hacked, um, it becomes exposed. The information on it, is, it becomes exposed. It's the same as a, a bur burglar breaking into your paper file cabinet in your office with your client information. Even if nothing is disturbed in the file drawer, and it's merely opened and no files are disturbed or made public, it's still a breach. Same thing with your phone, with your list of, uh, of patients and their phone numbers and names. So you're, you are bound by notification requirements and related legal fees occur. You'll have to inform your licensing board of that breach. The, um, I'll give you an example. The RG actually defended and insured for this very claim, and the legal fees were over $1,500. So if your client list is stored on a phone that's lost or stolen, um, you then will fall into a cyber breach strict liability. Misplaced or exposed client records, including names and phone numbers or data breaches, and they place a social worker squarely in the federal crosshairs of uh, HIPAA high tech law 45 CFR part 160. That has civil fines, penalties, uh, criminal prosecution, jail time, depending on the frequency and the and the severity of the crime, you get 12 years in jail for that and a million dollar fine. Restoration procedures, whenever there's a cyber data breach, no matter what the, what the size of it is, could be one client, 
are extremely significant and they include written notification to every client in your practice of the breach, even if it was only one person who was breached. Um, you have to buy an identity theft subscription for one year for the clients that were breached. You have to have a security audit by a certified auditing firm and that costs money too. And of course, you'll have legal fees and, and some penalties. Uh, the RG experienced a, um, a similar claim, which cost $12,000 for the social worker to resolve because uh, he did not pay the extra $50 premium for the sufficient level of cyber liability uh, protection. She, he would have been 100% protected. So there is a lot of risk. You have to be careful. Thank you so much for that information. Dean, I'd like to turn this question to you, please. So using a regular phone is not sufficiently secure. Are there secure phone systems that you would recommend? Well, as Phil just uh, very accurately pointed out, a regular phone is not sufficiently secure. You need to do your homework. You need to reach out to your cell phone provider or your telephone provider and find out what options are available to make sure that your phone line is secure. Um, especially in these days where everyone is working from home, uh, hackers have not taken the day off. In fact, they've amped up even harder. So please do your homework. Um, I do know that there are phone systems that are secure, um, but I don't make specific recommendations. I would encourage each of you to do your homework, talk to the provider, ask all the questions you need to, and when you think you've asked them all, ask them again. Very good points. Lonnie, I would like to direct the third question to you, please. Regarding testimonials, if the client has voluntarily given a testimonial to the social worker and the social worker has gone over the risks, can the social worker post the testimonial on her website, anonymous or with names? Well, that's a great question and it should definitely be approached with caution. Um, it's a big compliment um, to have uh, your services, um, uh, you know, complemented in a, in a testimonial form. We definitely want to um, be very, very careful to say that um, a post of that nature needs to be um, either noted as anonymous or just like a first initial. Um, anything beyond that could be quickly construed, construed as a HIPAA breach. And even if the client gave um, the testimonial, they might, you know, change their pathway and get angry um, at a later time uh, based on different things going on. So just be very, very careful in approaching that and should be uh, definitely a big compliment, um, but approached very carefully, as we said. Thank you, Lonnie. Cautiousness is definitely key there. Phil, the next question's to you, please. Doesn't HIPAA require separate forms for telehealth services? Yeah, it's a, it's a good idea to have a separate informed consent um, form for teletherapy. However, uh, you need to check with, the, um, with HIPAA and also specifically your, your specific state regulations where you're licensed regarding telehealth services and also online um, uh, therapy. States are gonna have different laws and regulations regarding telehealth and 
and remote therapy. Uh, we, we have a sample um, informed consent um, form uh, posted on the NASW Assurance uh, Services website for your convenience and reference. That's good to know. So again, back to our website of www.naswassurances.org. Dina, to you please. Is it okay to use unencrypted email for things such as setting up appointments as well as receiving insurance membership numbers? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, that sounds like very generic information, confirming an appointment and uh, receiving um, an insurance membership number, but information like that can be construed as a HIPAA breach. Um, you don't want to use unencrypted email for important things. You could inadvertently send something to the wrong person or um, when you're trying to send a group email, for example, confirming to all of your clients that you have moved your entire practice to telehealth. There could be an unintended glitch and all of a sudden all of your client information has gone out to the entire group. Encrypted email is the best way to go, without question. Thank you so much for that. Lonnie, to you please. What about utilizing email for a follow-up after a session has occurred? So for example, a referral for another agency's support. Do, does client consent for utilizing email cover a social worker in terms of the risk of others reading this information? Well, just dovetailing on the great comments that Dina just shared uh, regarding uh, the other email question, I definitely want to um, just poise and suggest caution because essentially if somebody else got the email, it could be considered a HIPAA breach. And since that information is about the other providers um, could be interpreted as protected health information. So you want to just be very, very careful in approaching email because very quickly it can go the wrong direction without any intention. All right, thank you again. And actually, this wraps up our second podcast. Phil, Lonnie, and Dina, again, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us, as well as thank you to our listeners. Stay tuned for podcast three of this series. And in the interim, please, everyone, be safe, keep your distance, and don't forget to wash your hands. Have a great day.